Hello there. Welcome to the Pop Culture Quorum Deo podcast. This is episode 46. I'm Jeff Wright, one of your regular co-hosts. I'm joined, as always, with Jared Moore. And uh, it's been a while since we talked to you guys. The last time we hit record on an episode was for Avengers Endgame. And this week we're coming back to talk about superheroes again. I guess mm. we are. Uh, super something. We're talking yeah. about Brightburn. So, uh, Jared, before we jump into that, man, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Just staying busy between ministry and trying to finish a chapter for a dissertation. So I'm I'm done reading Augustine, I think, and finally the thing is coming together. So that's good. So you've read everything there is to read on Augustine? I think I've read everything he said about concupiscence. So okay, and, uh, sinful desire. But uh, it's uh, I don't know. I think I hope it. I hope it makes a dent in this. Uh, both in Augustine and as far as studying Augustine and then um, the discuss the discussion around um, sinful desire. Yeah, me too. Me too. I hope it's a profitable dent. Yeah, I do too, man. We'll see. We'll see. I know it'll be, uh, I think it will be discussed, um, but I just hope it's received well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do too, man, and I'm I'm going to believe the best and, and trust that it will. It's an important thing you're writing about, and uh, it's obviously timely, so... Let's uh let's just assume the best that evangelicals and reform camps are going to say, oh yeah, that was helpful. Thanks for thanks for bringing it to our attention. Yeah, amen, buddy. Well, I know you haven't been writing only. Uh, we talked a little bit before we hit the record button about some stuff we've been watching. So, uh, you ready to get into our first segment? Yeah, stop in. What you watching? What you watching? What you watching? All right, Jared. What have you been watching lately? Um, I watched a Billy Graham. Billy Graham, did I tell you that? No, huh? Yeah, I watched a Billy Graham documentary. Is this something um, actually, new or is it older? Um, it's probably a little older, but I mean, we're talking the last three, four years. Hmm. Um, it was really good, really good. A lot of things I didn't know about. Um, but it made me sad. It was because uh, I mean, the popular preaching out there, you know, at least at the time that Billy Graham was really popular in the fifties and sixties. Um, 70s, he he heavily emphasized repentance, repentance, trust in Jesus, trust in Christ. And man, the popular preachers that are out there today, that is not their message. Um, and something interesting when uh, like the, it showed a clip from 1957 and he's doing a revival in in New York City. And it's um, it's like it's in Times Square and the camera i mean you couldn't even see where the people ended there were so many people outside standing listening to him preach and um and i know some of that's pop culture in and of itself mm-hmm. um and it's a phenomena sure. but i mean i think america needs a dose of that a big dose of that um today i just can't imagine i mean the people who would be able to pack times square today that are preachers uh-huh um they're preaching different messages yeah, that's that's putting it as gently as possible. So, did you watch this documentary on Netflix? I I didn't. I got a friend who had a copy of it. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I know it's been the past three or four years. And um, but I mean, he even went he w- he even went into Russia and preached before the Iron Curtain fell. Yeah, I think uh, um, I think I'm aware of that. I read the probably the first autobiography I ever read was his and. I didn't realize at the time I was just a kid. I mean, I was probably, I don't know, early high school. I just didn't realize how significant it was, all the places he had traveled and preached. The Lord really just opened incredible doors for his ministry. Oh, yeah. I mean, it had to be a God thing. There's a Netflix documentary called Billy Graham, An Extraordinary Journey. And I say 
a Netflix one. There's a documentary available on Netflix called Billy Graham, An Extraordinary Journey from 2018. That's possible. It, that that may be it. Um, Dude, how are you going to come on here and tell us about a documentary about a believer that sounds so good and not even know the name, man? I'm telling you. I know it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I guess there's more than one documentary on Billy Graham. Um, but as far as where his ministry was opened up and everything, he's one of the few who seemed to actually handle fame well. Yeah. Like with humility. Um, he also handled yeah. it carefully. I mean, everybody, uh, we may have talked about this issue on the podcast before, but, you know, it's gotten really cool to make fun of Mike Pence for not meeting alone with women who aren't his wife. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's cool even among like evangelicals. Um, I, I read On Reading Well by Karen Swallows Pryor, and in it, she takes a shot at the idea. But he got that from Billy Graham, best I can tell. And, mm-hmm. you know, belittle it all you want, but there's no scandal to- attached to Billy Graham or Mike Pence for being involved with stuff sexually they shouldn't be. Right. And, and that's that's kind of what separates Billy Graham from so many others that have come after him. Um, he it's going to sound weird, listener, but he could have got almost any woman he wanted. Um because of the celebrity attack, not any woman he wanted, right? There are godly women, obviously, but there is an attraction to fame um, that is out there that women flock to, both men and women flock into, I don't know why there's this an allurement. I mean, I say that because I, I remember I was watching a, doc, a documentary about some weird socket guy, and they had to, he was actually a claim to be a believer, which, how does that fit together, but... But um, he he had to hire somebody just to keep the women away from him. And he was like in his sixties. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a strange a strange phenomena. Um, that fame can can provide those opportunities for sin, and uh, you got to be able to fight those. And Billy, and it seemed that he fight fought those faithfully for man, I don't know, sixty or seventy years. It is wild to think that there is a. There's someone in history like Billy Graham. I mean, it, I guess it's way before the the dawn of the internet, at least in terms of the height of his popularity. But it mm-hmm. it just seems like a Billy Graham could not exist anymore. And mm-hmm. it's kind of weird that any you know that uh, Billy Graham existed ever. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's what's so. It made me sad watching the documentary, and I, I looked it up. It is the extraordinary journey, and so you can find that on Netflix, listener, if you want to watch it. Okay, thank um, you. But it is sad. It is sad. It made me sad watching it because America, and I, re- I realized a lot of that was pop culture Christianity, but there was a lot of morality and public distaste for immorality that came with that. There was a a, a social consciousness, at least somewhat back then, and some uh, and Billy. Um, that documentary really emphasizes like he was he was uh, he tried to help end segregation like they they segregated some of his uh, revivals. Yeah. And he told them to remove the ropes and they wouldn't. So he actually walked down and removed them himself. Um, I mean, he he was he was on the right side on so many issues. Sure. And um, I'm just thankful for him. I mean, I know there are things later in life that I disagreed with on his theology, but um, for so long he stood. the. I mean, the reason why inerrancy, uh, you know, gained so much influence at a time when and people are still saying today, you know, you can't believe all of the Bible and you're going to have to basically you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to be an intellectual or whatever. You know how they frame it. They frame it like they're so smart or whatever. 
Um, when I look at church history, listener, before the 1500s, there was virtually no one who disbelieved the Bible and Christianity. In the I mean, West, I, right? We're not talking about China. I'm talking about even in Africa. Um, I'm talking from the Middle East all the way to um, the Reformation. Sure, sure. It, the, the scriptures virtually went unquestioned as far as their authority. And that, that's not an exaggeration. I mean, when they use terms like infallible, they meant that the Bible literally cannot err. That's what infallible means. It's actually a stronger statement than inerrant. Inerrant means that the Bible does not err. Um, but what they, it was an epistemological statement that because the Bible is God-breathed, right, it's infallible. Because God cannot err, the Bible cannot err. His word cannot err. But, but anyway, so Billy held that up, um, held up inerrancy and helped, I mean, swing the tide, at least in a pop culture kind of way. So we would say he popularized it. I mean, like the, mm-hmm. you know, the Chicago statement, maybe those guys yes. at the think tank, Billy's the guy out on the grass, uh, mm-hmm. grassroots level helping people come to embrace this kind of experientially. Yes. And actually probably a lot of those guys who ended up, you know, part of the Chicago, I bet some of it was due to Billy's influence, at least um, over their churches and well, and Southern Baptist influence as well. And actually he's probably responsible for the conservative resurgence. Hmm. Um, I mean, cause that was a grassroots yeah. move primarily. Right. And um, why the, why were the churches still conservative when the seminaries were shooting out uh, pastors who weren't? I mean, he was America's pastor. Um, I mean, there are times when it's better <laughs> when it's better for a um, you know if your pastor is preaching error, sometimes it is good to have another pastor who you have more respect for um, that you lean on. On, but uh, just go to go to a different church. Le- le- you know, yeah. uh, I, I try to fight the battle pretty hard for like you don't leave your church unless it's bad doctrine or immorality. But right. if your pastor doesn't believe the Bible, that's bad doctrine, and you should go to one that does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or try to get him, you know, if there's enough of you there, try to say, you know, we disagree with what you're teaching, hold him accountable, like the church at Galatia should have done. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, but anyway, so I, I, I really enjoyed that, listener. Watch that, watch that documentary. Watch it with your kids. I made my kids sit down and watch it. Yeah, I can see that. I bet it seems like a different world. Yeah. Um, I also watched, um, I've been watching this documentary on, uh, ironically, I heard it on Glenn Beck. So when I drive to work, um, sometimes Glenn Beck's on, sometimes Dave Ramsey's on. And so I'll just have the talk radio on. And I, just for the record, listener, I hope this doesn't offend you, but I am not a fan of Glenn Beck. He's just on the radio, so I'll listen. Um, probably a third of what he says I agree with. But like two-thirds, I'm like, whoa, I'm not going to call myself a libertarian because of what this guy says. I don't know, man. Um, Libertarianism's where it's at. Don't let the don't let the corruptors mess you up. That's yeah, he, he's definitely a corruptor in my opinion. Yeah. But uh, but he mentioned Chernobyl, the HBO miniseries. Oh, yeah, man. I'm, I'm so excited for that. I, do you know that I, like, I regularly read about Chernobyl? Really? Yeah, it's just always been an interest of mine. And I saw that this... Uh, not documentary. This miniseries was coming out on HBO, mm-hmm. and I've just decided I'm going to let it complete entirely and then binge watch it. Mm-hmm. But right now, I think it has the highest IMDb score uh, for any television show ever. Uh, again, as of right now, well, listener, if you um, if you're ever considering socialism, watch this documentary, watch this miniseries, and um, this is what socialism looks like. And um, Chernobyl couldn't have happened without socialism. And so that that's what's fascinating to me. I'm amazed it's gotten such high ratings um, but for that very reason, because it is a um, cautionary tale of socialism. Mm. 
That's interesting. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised by that, but I am. I'm surprised that HBO let it into the mix. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just seems yeah. like a controversial political statement to make these days, which is weird. It is weird, isn't it? It's strange. It's never worked anywhere, but but you know how it is, man. They're just if HBO may just be going against Russian socialism, like it's not American socialism. We want we're wanting you know we can get it right type arrogance. Well, yeah, and, and Russia is. You know, yeah, the boogeyman again for a large segment of our population right now. So the criticism of Russia may be the uh, the thing that kind of gets this through the, the pop culture screens, you know, where, mm-hmm. where people holler about that stuff. And, yeah, you're right. The idea that this thing, uh, this socialistic or even communistic plan, it's just never been done right. That's why it fails. It is the stereotypical definition of insanity. Mm-hmm. Um I am super excited for that series. Again, I think if I can, I'm just going to sit down and play out through all of them. That that is a very interesting moment in history to me. Yeah, there's four. There's four right now episodes. Six in total, right? Well, I don't know. I thought it was going to be ten, but maybe it is six. I think it's going to be six. I could be wrong. Okay. There's also a companion podcast. I don't know if you know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they release one episode. I mean, excuse me, one episode of the podcast for every episode of the show. So I think the first four are available for you to download. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, I'll, um, so I'm enjoying that. I recommend it. Now, there is, I just warn listeners, there is, I have seen some nudity, but it's not, there's no, I haven't seen it. There's no sexuality, if that makes sense. I'm not, I don't want to give anything away, but um, there are nude, it's part of the story, if that makes sense. So, Um, so anyway, just to give you a forewarning, uh, listener, listening, you're you're responsible for what you watch. All right, if we recommend something, you still need to check it out and make sure you know um, that it's okay before you watch it. Your own conscience. Yeah, um, I've noticed a feature of IMDb that I've never really used before, but I've started drawing on more um, about halfway down the the page for whatever movie you're looking at. Not only do they list the rating, but there's a parent's guide. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm not going to trust my parenting to anonymous users on a on a website. But users contribute and they tell you, hey, this is what's in it. This is how severe we think it is. And it's pretty helpful. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a new tool. I'm, I don't think it's new to the site. It's just new to my use. And if others out there were like me and didn't know that it was there and that it was helpful, that's a good place to start doing uh, what Jared just called us to do. Mm-hmm. And one more thing, man, I watched, uh, my wife and I watched The Upside. Have you seen the previews for this? That sounds familiar. Remind me. Um, It's got Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston in it. Oh, he's like uh, Cranston's paralyzed, right? Yeah, he's a quadriplegic. Um, So that's that's from the neck down, right? I think that's right. Well, he, uh, so he's this rich individual and is looking for someone to care for him. And, and he picks Kevin Hart. And it's based on a true story, and they're they're supposedly still friends today. Um, but it, it is worth seeing. It's a good story about I don't know the need for friendship, the need for community, um, how I mean how depression can kill you. Um, and I, I mean I've just run into this in ministry where you got folks who who think they want to be alone, and then when they get alone, um, they're so miserable, and then. For some people, it's too late. I I counsel with one man in ministry, and um, he had made he had done so many things in his life that had just pushed all his family away. I mean, he told his kids, he said, "I wish I could divorce my kids." Oh man, uh, said that to their face. Now these were they were grown, but still, um, that stuff is hard to. That would be hard for you know me at thirty eight years old to hear from my dad for sure. Um, and so 
So he had basically pushed everybody away. And whenever I was counseling with him, and when I say counseling, I'll just visit him. And um, he'd say, you know, I I wanted to be alone for so long, and now it's killing me. Uh-huh. And it was just, he had just basically made his own grave. And um, it's just sad to see folks like that, that we were made for community. I mean, if you, you know, just the basic principles of humanity, you go back to the Garden of Eden. It's not good for man to be alone. And God made woman for that purpose, um, for for Adam. And you see this community begin to be fruitful and multiply. And But there's this this um, I, I think a lean, uh, leaning on I think face to face relationship is ideal and the further you get from that the more depression ensues like we like today we have more contact with folks than we've ever had in human history but it seems that depression is i don't know it seems that it's on the rise maybe it's just we're more aware of it but um it's not due to a lack of contact i think it's due to a lack of real relationships yeah, for sure. Uh, and real face. relationships being defined by more face-to-face interaction and, and more uh, authentic transparency, right? I mean, social media lets you be in touch with a million different people, mm-hmm. but um, it's not particularly helpful for you to confess your sins and bear one another's burdens. I'm not denying right. that some people don't do that through social media or text or you know other forms of communication, but it's just not doesn't seem inherent within the technology itself. Right. And it's uh, so if if the biblical ideal is face to face, the further you get from that, the more the more outside of of God's ideal you'll be. And what I mean by that is, is it's I don't think I mean, so if God made us for that face to face, primarily, the further you get from that, what we were created for, created to need and to want and to give the the further you'll get away from that ideal like it, God I believe God has designed the creation in such a way and humanity in such a way that we need that face-to-face community and the less of it you have the more detrimental it will be to you well so, sure I mean we we go back beyond even the garden right like we see this as Trinitarian and humans created in the image of a triune God you know God has existed in eternal fellowship and mm-hmm. you would imagine as seems to be the case that those created in his image they too need uh, an honest and searching and open kind of community. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I, so phone calls, text messages, anything that is kind of outside of face to face. If you listener, you need to you need to make yourself. You may say, Jared, I'm not comfortable being in groups or what. You you need you literally need to make yourself go try to be face to face with folks um, because it's it's just. I think it's good for your health. Yeah, um, I don't. But I don't think you're wrong. But uh, so, so those are the, those are the things I'd watch uh, that I'd recommend. What you been watching, man? I have been watching a lot of kaiju movies. Uh, my kids are, you know, they went to see in game and got excited for the Godzilla King of the Monster trailer they saw there. And I'm cautiously, op, you know, open to the idea of them going to see it with me. But in the meantime, we watched the 2014 again, uh, the film. I also broke out the 1998 film uh, on my own to check it out. It's still not good. It hasn't aged well, <laughs> hadn't improved uh, sitting in the cellar. And then we've just watched a bunch of the old Japanese based uh, kaiju Mm-hmm. Godzilla and I don't know if they like it or you know or they're just pretending to humor me but we've had a blast watching those things we kind of do our own mystery science theater while we're watching them and oh that's great they're pretty good yeah so um, I think I watched Godzilla versus Megalon to start it off and we've made we've made it through uh, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla and 
all monsters attack. And yeah, we're just pressing on watching a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I worry this new one, man. Like, can you tell a new story is what I worry about. Like from the 2014 to the 2019 one that's coming out this week. Like him, King of the Monsters, that's that's kind of what the last one was, right? Yeah, I, it it certainly does set it up. I just think they're going to throw a lot more kaiju creatures into the into the blender, and we're going to get this this uh, this monster named Ghidorah, which is kind of Godzilla's arch enemy, and him alone uh, is enough to really put me over the top. I mean, I, I would sign up to watch him just fight, you know, the monster of the month, but Ghidorah is kind of his Joker. Uh, and then there's hmm. Mothra as well. Mothra's going to be in this. If anything, I'm kind of worried it's going to make the mistake of some of the 90s superhero movies where they dumped, you know, they'd put uh, Catwoman and the Riddler in a Batman movie or they put Venom and Sandman in a Spider-Man movie. Hmm. Uh, I kind of wish they would have saved a couple of these guys. That makes sense, yeah. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a podcast I listen to regularly. And, it, you know, they don't always... They don't always serve me as well as other times, but they did an episode on the 1954 version, the original mm-hmm. Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And they said that the guy who was creating this one is a huge fan of the Godzilla franchise and put lots of callbacks in this movie to the to the franchise. And so I'm excited for that. And I think it's a it's a pretty interesting way to tell a story. Mm-hmm. For those who want to do something like this, there is a guy I follow on Twitter. I don't even know how we met each other. Probably we were both tweeting about the same thing. And anyway, uh, his name is Matt G. Metcalf. He's a uh, Southern MDiv student, and I think he uh, he has some involvement with Christianity Today. I don't remember what that is, but I've seen him mention it. Mm-hmm. But uh, his Twitter handle is Matt Metcalf. So just M A T T M E T C A L F. And for the last month, he's been like live tweeting through rewatching all of his Godzilla movies. And those are pretty good threads to read. They're they're quite fun. So anybody who wants to gear up for that new Godzilla movie, go check out Matt Metcalf and look down through his timeline to where he starts talking about his uh, Godzilla collection. I think you'll enjoy the read. That's cool, man. That's really about it, though, man. We we have been locked in on Godzilla and just what... Uh, what you and I watch for this podcast. Oh, actually, no. Uh, sorry to be all over the place. We have been watching the latest season of Fargo. Do you, do you ever watch Fargo? Yes. Yeah, I've I've been a fan of Fargo. They know how to do drama, man. Yeah. Now, this one has uh, Ewan McGregor in it, so I'm automatically just pumped up for that. Mm-hmm. And he's playing twins. Mm-hmm. So it's a gr- I mean, it's been great in terms of storytelling and acting. Absolutely great. But they have ratcheted up the sexual content and done some really gross stuff. Hmm. Um, I, I, you know, it's it it's made for TV, so it doesn't have actual nudity. But the stuff that they have done is like right up to the line of being too explicit for me to recommend on the podcast. So I'm just I'm not going to recommend it. Mm-hmm. But I am owning for the record that I've been watching it and. Uh, man, I really want Ewan McGregor to be in more stuff, and I specifically want him to be in an Obi-Wan Kenobi prequel. I need that to happen ASAP. Yeah, there you go. Maybe he'll be in the... Is it live action, uh, what uh, Disney's doing, or is it cartoon? The Mandalorian thing? Yes. Yeah, it's supposed to be live action, and we have rumors that instead of doing an Obi-Wan movie, they're going to put him in like a six- or eight-episode miniseries. Cool. And man, I'd be over the moon with that. But I feel like everything with Star Wars is kind of on pause until they see what Rise of the Skywalker does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with with good reason. I think The Last Jedi alienated so many people that Disney was wise to take a fresh look at what they were doing with the franchise and, you know, reconsider who they have 
manning the helm for the franchise and whatnot. So I'm hoping I'm hoping Rise of the Skywalker somehow manages to fix everything that went wrong with the Last Jedi and tell Disney like, no, keep making these stories, but honor the spirit of what brought fans in, you know, the first at, at first and created this huge popularity that you're still making money off of. Mm-hmm. And that they say, okay, well, one of the ways we're going to do that is to get that Obi Wan prequel off the ground ASAP. Gotcha. All right, my man. Anything else you you've been laying your eyes on? You want to tell us about? No, nah, that's it, buddy. All right, well, I've got a few things to throw at you in our next section. So let's go ahead and get started on that. So sorry to interrupt. Jared, I know you're a big Game of Thrones fan. What do you think about that finale? Whatever, man. <laughs> I don't watch Game of Thrones. Wouldn't recommend anyone watch it. Yeah, I'm the same way, but it was hard to get away from all the people belly aching about the, the finale of that, that show. Yeah. Have you, you know, these prestige television shows, maybe uh, starting with, let's say, The Sopranos, going up through like Breaking Bad and Mad Men and Game of Thrones. How many of those prestige-style Television shows. Have you watched all the way through? Um, I watched Breaking Bad all the way through. Okay. Were you happy with the ending? No. And Breaking Bad had, that was one of those things I just pressed through, kind of like Lost. Yeah, I watched Lost all the way through and really wish I hadn't. Yeah, Breaking Bad was too, I like Better Call Saul better than Breaking Bad, actually. Yeah, I think you've mentioned that. Uh, any other ones you watched all of? Um... No, yeah. I don't believe so. Yeah, well, you may say these don't fit, but in my in my mind, in my heart, they do. Uh, I watched all of Dexter, and Dexter has a bunch of nudity in it. Um, definitely don't recommend that uh, to to people just based on the rules of our podcast here. But I did watch all of it, and I've I've enjoyed the books. Like I, I like that character. I don't know what that says about me, but I just find it interesting. And I also watched Justified all the way through. Uh, did did I, you watch I did Justified? Watch, I did watch Justified all the way through. Justified is the only show I, I think it belongs in the premium television category. It's the only show that I know of where most of the, the watchers came out saying we're really satisfied with the ending of that show. Mm. I can't remember the last time there was a, a high-profile premium television drama that, that ended with everybody you know, saying, yeah, that, that wrapped up fairly well mm-hmm. outside of Justified. Yeah, the first season of Justified was incredible. Man, I I really think that series was all thriller, no filler, man. I, I loved every moment of that. Even down to the very end, uh, I guess I'm not shouldn't spoil it, but um, yeah, that, the the last season I was still wrapped up in it. So mm-hmm. here's to you, Justified. You you didn't let us down. <laughs> um, well, you mentioned Chernobyl already. That was one of the things I was going to throw at you, and I'm going to get started watching on that one. Uh, the last one I want to mention to you, and and feel free to tell me if there's anything else you want to talk about, but. I was reading today, getting ready for Rocket Man, which is the Elton John musical that's coming out. I am very interested in that movie. I love his music, and uh, the person behind the music is interesting, although uh, you know quite sad in terms of the choices he's made with his life. So I was excited for this, uh, but I was reading just online, getting ready for it because it comes out this weekend, and apparently there's a there's a fairly I don't know what you want to what adjective to put on it fairly intense sex scene. A uh, homosexual sex scene where I guess Elton loses his virginity, and uh, I'm just really sad about that, man. I, I wanted to watch this movie, but I definitely don't want to want to watch. I don't want to watch that 
And the way they handled Queen made me think maybe Hollywood could give us a version of the story that doesn't just revel in uh, in filth. But mm-hmm. I guess that's not gonna, that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's good to compare it to Queen, the Queen movie. But I don't know why they pursued an R rating when a PG thirteen rating did so well. Like, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. You and I both confessionally understand homosexuality to be against God's design. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't want to watch a heterosexual scene where somebody loses their virginity. Mm-hmm. Those things can be alluded to. Those things can be referenced without having to be wallowed in. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like a dumb move because I'm assuming, you know, whatever statement they want to make with a the movie, they also want to make money. Yeah. And there's a segment of the population who's going to be alienated. I'm not saying it's going to kill their box office. But I am saying in in a way that, as you just mentioned, the Queen film uh, didn't suffer from. They're just going to chase off a big chunk of their potential buyers. It's a a weird, disappointing decision from multiple different angles. Mm Mm-hmm. I, uh, having said that, you know, the, the one other thing that's happened since we recorded that I'm really interested in is the Tolkien biopic, but it didn't come anywhere near us. And so I guess we'll wait and see that one on Redbox or Amazon video or something. Um, I had similar worries with it. I thought maybe they would mishandle, you know, Tolkien's faith. Mm-hmm. But one of my f- colleagues at the school I teach at, he went and saw it and he said that really they chopped the movie off before. Tolkien got really serious about his faith. It basically takes him up to his participation in the war. And that, you know, he said, of course, you know, his faith is not central to the movie, but it's also a part, it's set in a part of his life where his faith wasn't uh, particularly, I don't know what the right word is, active or whatnot. Um, Hmm. Which, you know, is a less worse version of what they could have done. But I still Mm -hmm. think when you make a movie about Tolkien, you kind of ought to include. That that he was a very committed Catholic Christian, you know, seems strange. Yeah, it is strange. (laughs) It is strange. It's like we can't. (laughs) We just need to be able to control the stories, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, give us more Christian creatives who will who will take that material and really wring the the most interesting version of it out. Mm hmm. Well, anything anything on your mind about pop culture that we didn't get a chance to to cover here? No, no. Um I mean, I, I noticed, I saw that um, that a transgendered man just won the female a female track competition NCAA. Did you see that today? I didn't see it today, but man, I feel like we get another one of those stories every every week. I mean, mm-hmm. women athletics are going to be destroyed by gen- transgenderism. It is, and I am so surprised. I, well, I think we've talked about this before on here, so I won't belabor the point. But I'm just surprised. Uh, strong advocates for women's sports have laid down so easily. Mm-hmm. You get a Steffi Graf every now and then, or you know someone who kind of breaks rank and and really talks about this as the tragedy it is for for female athletes. Uh, mm-hmm. But they've you know the the women's athletics as a whole looks like they've adopted a party line and they're just going to watch their their entire enterprise get swallowed up by men competing as women. It's it's bananas. Mm-hmm. Go go look at this so-called lady who just won. She's a giant compared to the other runners. Yeah, you know, I think just in this calendar year, we've seen a world record broken in track, uh, bicycling, and powerlifting by transgender athletes. Uh, okay, <laughs> more power to you. Uh, 
you know, I feel like the the old State Farm commercial where the guy's in his living room talking to his agent about coverage, and the wife is suspicious. She's talking to, uh, rather, he's talking to a, another woman, and so she pulls the aha and says, "Let me let me have the phone. Who? What's her name?" And he, she, he says, "Well, she's a guy." So. Charlie. And that's what I feel like every time I see this. Like, okay, this transgender athlete lifted more weight than any woman's ever been able to. Okay. Yeah. But she's a guy, you know. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It is. it is crazy. It's I'm surprised the feminists have just laid down. Like, you fight and fight and fight for the definition of femininity that women are just as strong as men can do anything that a man can do. And then all of a sudden, now men can just self-identify as women and boom, femininity's gone. Like, there is no definition anymore. It's just, it just blows my mind. Like, like you fight and fight and fight for women, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, now now I could be the definition of femininity um, if I just self-identify. It's, it's just crazy. Well, you know, the, the first wave feminists are gone, and the uh, the second wave are aging pretty rapidly, you know. But those some of those old shell second wave feminists have said, you know, it matters whether or not you have a uterus uh, as to whether or not you're a woman. And they've been they've been eaten alive by third and fourth wave feminists. You know, there, it seems like there's a special vitriol for those early feminists from from their daughters and granddaughters. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe they're just too old to fight anymore. I don't know, man, but it, it, it is bizarre. It's bizarre, of course, obviously, to watch people insist that, you know, this triangle is a circle. But it's weird, too, to see people who were so staunchly uh, on what used to be the side of progressivism either get swallowed up by radically contradictory versions that have shown up in recent days or get destroyed by them. It's mm-hmm. just, it's bizarre all the way around. It's <clears throat> kooky theater. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a cheery note to end on. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's do that because I want to talk to you about this movie we just saw. Yeah. You ready to pull the curtain on Brightburn? Yes, sir. All right, man. So it's been a minute since we talked. I'm going to remind everybody of the deal. We are about to read a description of the synopsis of Brightburn. And as soon as I get done with that description, we're going to be in full-blown spoiler territory. So if you keep listening after the plot synopsis, we'll assume you're happy to hear details of the plot. And if you're not, then hit pause, go watch the movie, come back and listen to the episode, and we'll pick up the conversation there. So here we go, Jared. Let's get this from IMDb yet again, serving us. Their, uh, Their plot synopsis comes in the form of a question. What if a child from another world crash-landed on Earth, but instead of becoming a hero to mankind, he proved to be something far more sinister? Anything missing from that synopsis? No, that sounds good, man. Yeah. So it's Superman as a sociopath, right? Yeah. Yeah. What uh, what conscience issues would you highlight for our listeners here? What what might trouble someone watching this movie? Um, very severe violence, like grotesque. I mean, there's this movie had too much gore in it, and I say too much. It, it's not that there was a lot, but there were two or three scenes that were seriously gory. Yeah, surprisingly um, so. Yes, like look away from the screen, gory. Um, and just the I don't know if if your conscience is sensitive to. Um, I mean, he murders both his parents, <laughs> so. Um, I mean, if that, if your conscience is sensitive towards things like that. And yeah. we're not saying it's a bad thing if you, if it is. Right. Cause right. that's pretty, you know, uh, fratricide. Uh, yeah. that, that's a big deal. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so those I think those are the major ones. There there is some language I believe, but the violence was what stuck out to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. That the language in some ways is surprising because we're dealing with the idyllic Kansas farm community that that is so built into the Superman origin story. Mm-hmm. But you know, the dad will drop some f bombs here and there, and you know, it's it's noticeable for how out of place it is. Yeah. Um, there is this really awkward scene where the dad is talking to the son about puberty and masturbation and stuff like that. Um, you mentioned there's a lot of gore. This movie is super, super filled with body horror. Uh, it's a legit scary movie. And it's not, you know, it's not Saw or an Eli Roth movie, but just knowing that it's a bad guy superhero movie, it's pretty surprising how gory it is. So I just want to highlight that for our listeners. Mm-hmm. And I think that's about it. Um, the other thing we do, guys, we we compare these stories against the way God's telling His story. So we talk about creation and fall, redemption and glorification. And then we do some analysis questions. If you've been listening to us uh, for very long, you'll you'll know what we do. And if you don't, go back and check out our archives. Find a movie that uh, you enjoy that we've covered. Go back and listen to an old episode, and you'll you'll get a further explanation of our process here. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's the way we do what we do. And Jared. What do you see as the goodness of the world of Brightburn here? Um, probably the goodness is the mother and the father, right? Trying to love this child, uh, especially the mother. I yeah, think she, she, she really is a mom who wants to believe the best and have her kids back. Right, right. And and, and attempt to love him even when he's done great evil. Yeah, um, you know, kind of underneath that, it just struck me that this is a movie that sees babies as a good thing. Yeah. Babies is something to be desired. Uh, babies as something that, you know, when when they aren't present, the people feel their absence. Mm-hmm. It understands that like married couples reproduce and desire to do so. And I mean, I get it. This is no this is no traditional family statement movie. Mm-hmm. But for the story to make sense, they have to kind of lean on those traditional elements. Right. Right. This couple can't procreate. They really want a baby so bad that when this thing drops out of the sky on them, they see it as this, you know, incredible gift. And it harkens back to a time when culturally we understood that babies were a good thing and getting Mm -hmm. a baby was a real gift. And they're not intending to do it, I don't assume. But the people who created Brightburn take us back to a world like that. Yeah. Even to a poor farmer, right? Poor farming family. Yeah. Um, well, it's probably pretty obvious, but let's talk about fallenness here. Yeah, fallenness in this movie is basically the kid. I mean, when he goes psycho, that seems to be what, what the fall is here. When he, um, well, him and his race start taking over the world. Yeah, there is this scene where the kid goes from basically a normal pre <laughs> I can't say it, prepubescent child. Uh, but then his spacecraft wakes up, tells him to take over the world, and he becomes a full-blown sociopath. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this movie, uh, I think it is playing with themes of deception and change. Uh, it also is telling us that, hey, guess what? It's a really bad thing when people who have the most power don't use that power for the good of their neighbors. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, for, for a movie about a kid who can fly and shoot heat lasers out of his eyeballs, it's a, it's pretty realistic about how the abuse of power works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there any redemption in this movie? I don't think there is. Um, I mean, apart from 
the mother's love for her son to the end and uh and not only that but her love for her love for others i guess you could say same way with the dad they realized that they well that he was gonna he was hurting people gonna kill people and um the scene where his dad shot him uh is uh pretty rough yeah, so if for some reason you're listening to this and you hadn't seen the movie or you're trying to remember where we're at here, uh, someone who has, dad realizes what's going on before mom is willing to deal with it. And so he decides to take the kid out on a hunting trip, but catch his son when he's not paying attention and shoot him in the head execution style. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plan doesn't work and things go really bad for <laughs> really bad. Like for Dado. Good grief. Like that's one of the, I think that's the worst scene in the movie. Um, because he looks into the his daddy's eyes like face to face, and I mean it's just something. And I, I assume they're playing with you know metaphors of um, adolescence and you know sons growing up to see their dads as rivals somewhat. Yeah. Um, to this kind of breaking away from the authority of both parents that is inherent in teenagers because they're they're supposed to be they're supposed to be turning into adults. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think we need to see that as a good thing, but um, but sin sin distorts that reality. And in, in this movie, it's not particular sin, but it's just the fact that this is an alien race, an alien creature um, whose point is to take over the world. And um, you know, I, I mean, it's 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 interesting because that that's exactly what teenagers do. You know, they're, they take they're, over the world and heat vision your face off. <laughs> well, they, they do take I over the world. I wish someone had told me before I reproduced. I mean, your children and my children will eventually take over the world, right? I mean, <laughs> all children eventually grow up and become adults. And they're, oh, they're yeah, aging, they will inherit parents. the earth for a time anyway. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, I... I think that I don't think that there is redemption. Uh, I think that there's no redemption or glorification. I mean, if you're looking at it from the perspective of the kid and his race, then they're you know they would say possibly that's redemption. I don't know what the what the goal of the movie there is as far as other races forcing um, other humans or other aliens forcing other humans to raise their young. Is that what took place, you think? Yeah, they tell that at the beginning. Uh, They reference wasps and bees, and I guess there's a species of wasp that they say in the movie has lost its ability to nest. I'm assuming it's some kind of evolutionary something, something billions of years, Mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, But then that that species forces other species of wasps to raise its children before those children, mm-hmm. I guess, take over the nest or whatever. And yeah, it's pretty clear that that's what's going on with this kid who's dropped out of the, out of the heavens. Mm-hmm. And earth is the nest. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, it's really scary. I thought it was a really scary movie. Um, but there, there is no, this is kind of a buckle up scary movie where it's safe to be scared. Um, I don't know if there's any overarching, I don't know that the movie had anything to say per se. Mm. I've got a, I've got a theory on that. I'll save it for, for a later analysis. Okay. Um, no redemption. I'm with you. And as a result, there's no glorification. I mean, in fact, this movie just ends on an even darker note. Yeah. Everybody's going to (laughs) die. Sure. And I think I've mentioned it on here before. I don't watch a trailer for a movie that I know I want to watch. And I have been ready for a superhero horror movie for a long time. I thought Venom opened that door really well and kind of was a proof of concept. 
Mm-hmm. And there's this new Mutants movie that's supposed to be coming out, but that Disney has pushed back yet again, fourth time. Uh, it's supposed to come out in 2020 now, so that's going to be two full years after the original release date. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody said all along it's going to be a horror movie. So like when I when they said Brightburn superhero horror movie, I knew I wanted to watch it, and I just I watched only the teaser trailer. I think you said you did something similar. So I thought this was going to be a movie where. Mom is fighting some kind of inner programming to to try to get the kid to choose good over evil, mm-hmm. and I was wrong. <laughs> I was deeply, deeply wrong. Mm. So well, I was, I was, I was thinking that the mother, just based on the previews, that the mother, like I, I told a friend that I was going to go watch the movie after seeing the previews, that I want to go see it because I wanted to see if the mother's love would win out. And yeah, <laughs> well, you have seen, sir, that it does not. <laughs> uh, you may even say she fell from her son's good graces. Oh, my goodness. That's right. I mean, so I, here's as good a reason as any. Do we see her move at the end to attempt to stab him to death as a failure of her love? Do we see it as an expression of love to humanity to try to stop this monster? What, what do you think there? I think the latter. I think that's how we're supposed to see the dads, too. But the dads was too early, I thought, to warn a shot in the back of the head. I just didn't think he had the evidence. Um, That's true. That's true. You you, you really want to have some rock solid evidence before you take your kid out in the woods and shoot him with a hunting rifle. Yeah. I mean, he didn't, I don't know. I thought he jumped a little too fast to that. Like his mama actually saw him murder people before she did that. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) yeah, dad, dad put together some conjectural evidence. Of course he turned out to be right, but I hadn't thought about that. He's, he's pretty quick to try to off his only child. (laughs) Yeah. Can you imagine, like, nope. coming back? I was like, dude, how are you going to go back to your wife? Yeah, I shot him in the back of the head. Or the sheriff. Yeah. Uh, sir, it's pretty clear. Forensic says this child was executed, you know, gangland style. You're telling me that you fired upon a deer? <laughs> yeah, it would have been terrible. But uh, even worse, he never got a chance to make that report to the sheriff. And he didn't even see the bees put everywhere like the wife did. Like it was before he he even got the phone call. She tried to call him, yeah, and tell him. I mean, it was just based on his friend dying, and he thought that he knew that the son was lying. I mean, it just uh, anyway. I, I so I was. I guess they were trying to surprise us that he was trying to execute Maya. Dude, I felt from the moment he said, I'm going to take him camping, I was like, the, yeah, the game's on here. You know, they, if they were trying to surprise us, I felt like they telegraphed it, which isn't surprising considering the. You know, the kind of the clear beacon they said at the beginning about wasps that make their, you know, fellow wasps raise their children. Mm-hmm. But if they were going for surprise, I, I don't think it worked. No. So, Jared, when you're watching this one, what's it like as a fan? Uh, or I'm sorry, not as a fan, as a movie watcher. Where are you at in this movie while you're watching it? Um, I guess I'm the dad freaking out over the kid. Like, I don't have a teenager yet, but I can imagine. I know that some of the stuff that's in this movie is coming where... There's this breaking away of adolescence, which I think that God has designed for the good of the kid and the good of the parents, that you're supposed to raise this kid to get out from under you. And I mean, I I think to get married, I think that's what you're supposed to be raising the kid, like to be a husband and a father. That's what you're beneficial to society as well. Like that, that's what you're supposed to be raising them to do. And if you're just constantly coddling them, um, and so it's good for the kid to grow up and to want to be an adult. You want, you want your children to grow up that way. And so um, I assume I'm, I'm like the dad, uh, but I, he's so marred in this. 
um, that it's hard for me to identify with him. I definitely don't want to identify with the, um, I don't want to identify with any of them really, but probably <laughs> out of all of them, uh, the mom is the one I want to be most like, but the dad is who I'm probably really like. Yeah. I mean, I, as silly as it is to try to pull this from this movie, you kind of need both. You need a dad who's on guard, right? And a mom who believes all things. So yeah, uh, in, in some sense, both are doing what they're supposed to just in a very distorted and ultimately foolish and evil way. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for me, man, I, I watch this as a comic book fan. I, it's not particularly hard to do, I guess. But I was just appreciative of how closely they followed the classic Superman origin story. Mm-hmm. It's clear that mom and dad here, uh, Elizabeth Banks and David Denman, I can't remember their character names. Oh, yeah. Kyle and Tori Breyer. Um, they they are Ma and Pa Kent, and the spaceship crash lands, and there's a baby there, and they, they manage to, to make everybody believe that they've adopted a child rather than having one drop out of the sky, and they... They put the craft down underneath the floor of the barn, and they they even make use of like the swaddling clothes that came out of the spaceship on the kid mm-hmm. uh, for his bedding, and, and it shows up in his costume. I mean, like it is such a faithful adaptation of the Superman story that I don't know. It almost felt. I mean, I guess that's what they're going for. It felt subversive that they're going to take this pop culture mythology that is so well defined and so oft repeated. And they're going to do counterintuitive things with it. I mean, this movie particularly, just the the filters on the on the cameras and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, it made it feel like watching Man of Steel, mm-hmm. uh, Snyder's first attempt at ruining Superman. And uh, that that was what I was struck with as someone watching this. Just like they're really going to do this to Superman for real. Mm. So then, um, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit. Anything that we've left uncovered about what's true and good here? Is there anywhere to see common grace? Just what you've said, man, that, I mean, children being desired, children being valued, loved, um, even when they fall from the sky. Not only that, but um, I thought their marriage relationship was good for the most part. Um, I mean, even, even when they fight and he says some awful things, they come back and reconcile. Um and the mother's love for the son, I thought was really beneficial, uh, really good. I mean, all those things should be celebrated. And but it's really, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if this movie's nihilistic or what. But I, yeah, I'd say so. And again, I think it's what they wanted to do. You know, it's kind of it's kind of built into the packaging. But this movie wants you to say like all that. Moms always have their kids back and believe the best and all that. Yeah, that's super naive, and it's going to come back to bite you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do think at least cynical, if not nihilistic, is what this movie is ultimately accomplishing. Mm-hmm. You can tell how dark this thing is because we got to cynicism and nihilism by asking what's good in the movie. Yeah, um, for real. I mean, the acting is good. I, I don't think of Elizabeth Banks as, you know, a killer actress, you know, mm-hmm. but I thought she did really well here as like uh, a, a woman who's thrown herself into the role of mom, but also maybe not entirely comfortable with aging into that role. You know, she's mm-hmm. still got her hair dyed and she's wearing these faded rock T-shirts, maybe trying to hang on to a little bit of cool. Uh, and in my head, David Denman's character, Kyle, is just going to be who Pam's ex-boyfriend from the office goes on to be. I'm just going <laughs> to see this is 
uh, the rest of his story. That's funny. I don't I don't know if that character ever has any kind of redemptive arc in, uh, in office because I've told you I gave up on it when, when Michael left. Yeah. So I, I can just do that with headcanon. That's what's going on here. <laughs> That's good. But they did, you know, they did their job. Like uh, these were these were fully expressed characters. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, there's nothing particularly in-depth happening in their character development, but they also didn't feel like cardboard cutouts. Right. What do you think about Jackson A. Dunn, who played Brandon, the the bad guy here, the kid? I thought he did a good job for the most part. Um, I don't know. He's pre- he's he seemed the only criticism would be too aloof. Um, but I guess a kid would be like that. Well, I think specifically they're they're playing him as a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think in part that is because we see teenagers as apathetic, or at least yeah. you know early teenagers. Um, I should use, I guess, adolescence because teenagers is kind of a made up term. But anyway, we see that phase of life as having a time where apathy is the dominant feature. Mm-hmm. And when I say they're playing him as a sociopath, I'm I'm just talking about the popular level understanding of what that diagnosis looks like. Sure. Uh, I don't, you know, if you're a mental health professional, you, you could say, oh, but that's... That's not what it looks like at all. This is simplistic. Yeah, I'll give you all that. I just think that they're playing with the popular conception. And in that sense, we needed him to have a flat affect. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I thought I thought he did a good job of, of showing a kid who's very apathetic. But I also thought he did a good job of showing a kid who is like trying to figure out what people expect a human to be like. Mm, yeah. And then display those behaviors. But like the fact that he's catching up to it late, um, it kind of shows you how bad the problem is. You know, mm-hmm. there's that scene of confrontation after we know he's killed his uncle, but they come in to break the news to him that his uncle's dead. Supposedly beloved uncle is dead and they're expecting him to kind of freak out. And he's like, yeah, thanks for letting me know. And they're like, yeah, what's going on? He said, do you want me to cry? That was a little bit on the nose, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it. I thought it worked pretty well. This is a guy who doesn't know how to be human, and yeah, the the I guess the social awkwardness was odd for me. The um, like when his dad's like telling him about girls, and and then he decides to just go right then. Um, I, I don't know. There was something there about, and from what I understand about sociopaths, a lot of them are. Well, like what's that dude's name? Netflix just had a movie on him, Bundy. Ted Bundy. Yeah, he was a sociopath, um, but he had, I guess he was a good sociopath. By good, I mean, you know, if you're on the tail end of this, like if you're not a kid starting out, you can learn the behaviors in order to get your prey, kind of like a, um, like the charm and the fake empathy and all those things. Yeah, I guess you could. just real quick, I've actually been reading on this subject just from private interest. Apparently, there are lots of sociopaths who are clinically diagnosed and really feel no empathy or connection to other humans, but who live very safe, upstanding, uh, you know, even get married, have kids. I didn't realize how I didn't realize how many people had been diagnosed that way and what a you know, generally normal life they lived. I guess just because of being unfamiliar, I had seen sociopathy as like, oh, yeah, you're going to be an axe murderer or whatever. And that is apparently not the case. You know what? That may mean that there's no such diagnosis as so- sociopath, or at least um, there may be something more objective that they, there obviously is something more objective they live by instead of by their um, lack of empathy. You know, yeah, lack of empathy or, um, I don't know the whole diagnosed and the and what would even be scarier, dude, would be uh, what if it isn't a real condition? Um, what if 
I mean, what if someone, I mean, obviously people who aren't sociopaths, not every serial killer is a sociopath. What if it's just a seared conscience? Well, so again, I'm reading all this stuff at a lay level. And listener, if if you know uh, better than what I'm about to say, I would love to hear from you because I'm really interested in this right now. And I would like to be able to ask you some questions, too, to help my understanding. But uh, some of the stuff I'm reading that is coming from peer-reviewed sources seems to indicate that what we call sociopathy may be a product of failed socialization. Uh, children who, particularly as infants, aren't uh, experiencing enough human contact and whatnot. But there's also some some people with impressive letters and qualifications attached to their name who are saying that there is something, it appears, about the way we use social media, particularly as we expose kids to it earlier, mm-hmm. that cultivates the traits that we diagnose as sociopathy. And so... Just uh, just enjoy that sweet thought right now. You know, this alien race is going to use Brightburn to colonize our planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a story about Google. Oh, that'll bless you. Yeah. Yeah, Google, Instagram. Facebook, exactly. I mean, Facebook mm-hmm. and Instagram are the same thing now. So uh, anyway, there's some disturbing stuff out there about the way that social media doesn't just desensitize us, but particularly the younger you're exposed to it and use it regularly, the way it cuts off our ability to empathize. So. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that explains why people are so awful to each other. It's it's probably a contributing factor. Well, uh, that cheering note is a little bit off the rails for us here, though. So you, you're talking about sociopaths being able to use masking techniques to, to hide their predatory uh, instincts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this kid is just a little too young to have that down yet. Yeah. And so he... Uh, he, the the actor does a good job of, of communicating that. The only time we really see him get engaged is when he gets really angry. Mm-hmm. That's when the facade comes down. Why didn't he kill? Do you think he was going to kill his aunt before the uncle came in? Yes, I think he was going to. and he. But I think his plan at that point, remember the whole thing was... Don't talk to the sheriff. Don't talk to my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a as a child, I think what he was pursuing, we would call a policy of containment. Mm-hmm. So if he can just kill the the person who can make the most public trouble for him, but go no further, I kind of think that's what his game plan was. Uh, that way, his life can continue on. He can continue as a you know, someone who's like figuring out his powers and the best way to take over the planet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was just going to take Aunt Kathy out or whatever, uh, but not her, not her husband, because there was no need to. It, it, he shouldn't, you know, he didn't want to bother with it and potentially increase the amount of scrutiny he'd be under. Mm-hmm. So he just was going to leave it alone. But but uncle came in, caught him and yeah, Earl had to die. Yeah, that's my theory. He's from the office, too. Did you know that? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's one of uh, Dwight's cousins. Oh, great. I mean, that's some of the funniest stuff in that entire show. <laughs> Moe's, we need a spinoff show on Dwight's beat farm. Did you know that Moe's was, uh, the? I think he was over the whole show. Yeah, yeah, I did. I know he was a writer. I know. For, speaking of, before we leave Jackson A. Dunn, though, uh, did you know he was in Endgame? Um, which one was he? So Brandon Breyer's actor is who we're talking about here in case uh, our sociopathy uh, rabbit trail caused our listeners to leave the to lose the thread with us. Um, He was adolescent Scott when they're trying to figure out time travel before Tony gets involved. Mm -hmm. So you remember they they make Scott a baby and they make him an old man and they make him a kid. Yeah. So kid Scott was Jackson A. Dunn. 
Okay. So, yeah, this guy's been involved in uh, two pretty high-profile superhero movies this year. Hmm. The more you know, according to G.I. Joe. Well, so... We, you know, we've we've looked long and hard for something good here. We hadn't really found it, other than some good acting. Um, what's distorted, evil, and false here? How can I subvert idolatry? The idol of this movie, I guess, is. I mean, if if there's a message here, would it be that what teenagers can't be redeemed, <laughs> or, or can or eventually they're just going to break away from their parents and rebel, or um, you know, I mean, what is the message here? What's you the know, idol? My wife, when I told her about this movie, she obviously didn't come watch it with us because she would hate a movie like this. But she said this is the worst possible movie for an adopting parent to see. Yeah, uh, and. I think this movie maybe unintentionally is stepping into the old debate about nature versus nurture for human development. Mm -hmm. And this one comes down pretty hard on the side of nature. Mm, Yeah. Now, of course, the mechanism is latent space alien programming triggered by a super tech device. So I'm not saying this is a definitive statement on nature versus nurture in any way. But, yeah, I think they're saying that some things can't be loved out of someone. Hmm. Some things can't be loved out of someone. Well, that's a good segue to the gospel, isn't it? Well, yeah. Uh, I see this as I see this as a commentary on Zack Snyder's understanding of Superman as a god. How convoluted is that for you for a uh, a pop culture statement? <laughs> yeah. I think the thing Zack Snyder wanted to do when he had that disastrous run with DC is play up what is obviously part of the Superman story. This is a savior figure who descends to earth from the heavens as a holy child and, you know, creates a better world through uh, through what are often self-sacrificial acts. And Snyder thought he would be sophisticated by showing us a God who's aloof, um, unclear about what relationship he wants to have to these lesser beings. Mm-hmm. And he ended up giving us a terrible Superman. Uh, yeah. You know, if anything, he gave us a good Lex Luthor, which is a complete fail. You know, Zack Snyder's vision of Superman is the best argument Lex Luthor ever had. <laughs> and I think... That's a tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to kick the guy while he's down, but I'm just happy that Zack Snyder's not making superhero movies anymore. At least none that I'm going to watch with characters I care, care about. But uh, David... Yarovsky, who directed this, and, and James Gunn was heavily involved as well. I think they're doing some of the same stuff. So what if God isn't just ambivalent? What if God is actively hostile? Mm-hmm. And yeah, this movie leaves you, you know, just deeply disturbed. So the problem with Snyder Superman is pretty obvious. If Superman's not the best among us, he's terrifying, and we do need to have some kind of weapon to use against him. That's why I said he's mm-hmm. the best argument Luther ever had. There's nothing that this world can do against this bright burn character. Right. And I do Therefore think we're helpless. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you just, the movie ends in the bleakest way possible. It's not just that this guy is indiscriminately killing whoever he wants. Right. We get that like uh, Michael Rooker playing a YouTube Rachel Maddow or something like that, like a, a wide eyed maniac uh, <laughs> looking at the news. And he, he tells us that it's not just this Brightburn figure, but there's these other creatures, these other reports around the globe. And it looks a lot like some of the stuff that was in Justice League or, or the movies leading up to Justice League from the DC Extended Universe. 
It's mm-hmm. like there's a man who lives under the waters, and there's this woman who was seen in World War II. And anyway, they're they're clearly playing with the DC extended universe here, mm-hmm. and this movie leaves you not thankful that a, a savior has arrived, but it leaves you realizing that we don't have any hope whatsoever in the mm-hmm. face of this incredible, overwhelming power. Yeah. So you tell me how you would connect it to the gospel, and then I'll tell you how I've been thinking about it on the backside. Yeah, I think this movie just presents the devil. Like if the devil, you know, if it goes against the yin-yang stuff, that if it doesn't tell us anything about God, um, it tells us about a being who's greater than us, power, more powerful than us. If that being was set loose on mankind, um, you know, if, if God did not, was not, I don't want to say pulling the strings of the devil, but he delimits the devil's power, sets the boundaries and um, so he's only permitted to do what God permits him to do. And um, I mean, so it's just, just for our listener, I think you said God delineates what the delim- devil, devil can do. Yeah, delimits. Um, well, t- so delimit I, sets the boundaries is what I is what I mean. Well, wouldn't delimit be remove limits? I don't believe it is. Um, okay. I think delimit is uh, setting limits. Bound. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, think so. So the idea that we are working from is that God constrains what the devil can and cannot do. He may have natural abilities that go beyond what God has authorized him to make use of, but nonetheless, he's he's operating on God's leash. Am I right? Right. I mean, you think of the things that, that he did to Job's family, fire falling from the sky, tornado. I mean, you know, these supernatural things that the devil evidently can do if God permits him to do. Um you know, it it, uh, it is terrifying, and I think this being is. I mean, I, I think they're pre- they might be trying to present a a god, but what they're presenting to me is is the devil. And um, we have. It's interesting that um, when you look at, and you read the New Testament, you realize that the devil sealed his own fate by having God the Son incarnate crucified. The Bible even says that the devil entered Judas before um, Jesus was betrayed. And so there's this, it's similar to the garden, it's similar to this hatred of mankind, um, particularly the hatred of God the Son incarnate now, this image-bearing par excellence of God, and um, and he seals his own fate by having him crucified. And so, one, I'm thankful that there is no yin-yang, there is no equal good and equal evil, there is supreme good, and then there is evil that is permitted for a time. Mm. Um, I mean, we know you read the Bible and you can know how it all ends. Eventually, this, you know, this bright burn character is going to be in the lake of fire sure. uh, for all eternity. And um, with the false prophet, you know, with whoever has followed his lead. Um, but Jesus Christ, even though he was a defeated hero um, for three days, or at least appeared to be, um, he conquered death in the grave and is r- ruling over all creation today at the right hand of God, and um, and he he is supreme good for us. Not only that, he is the supreme good, and so, um, I mean, we run to him, we trust in him, and I'm so thankful. I mean, this movie makes me thankful for the antithesis, right? That mm-hmm. that this isn't reality, um, and even though I am apart from Christ, more like the Brightburn character than. You know, I mean, not 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 that heinous sin, but um, I'm not good. I guess that's what I'm saying. Um, many times when I watch Superman, at at least when he is the supreme good, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I find myself definitely falling short of that um, ethically. And um, I mean, he's this ideal, iconic, you know, 
um, person that we're supposed to aspire to and what we should be. And that's what we have ultimately in Christ in the real world. Um, but I'm thankful where I fall short. Christ has credited his righteousness to my account. Uh, my trust is in him. And so I'm hidden in him, and I still have a responsibility to live for him. But anyway, so what, where the gospel applies is that good grief, Christ is uh, infinitely better than what is presented in this movie. 100%. All that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not going to I'm not going to say you're wrong, but my mind went in a different direction. Sure. So, again, working with the idea that this Brightburn character, like Superman, is supposed to be seen as a god like like uh, and other superheroes are supposed to do that, too. Some like Thor literally make the claim for themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're used to superheroes being scaled up humans, starting all the way, at least in my mind, back to Zeus, but probably other uh, similar mythological developments where these are basically men. They just have powers. But we tend to, at least in the West, in our day, want these lesser mythological beings to be morally upright. And so they do good rather than evil. And, and specifically, they work for the good of humans rather than, uh, you know, things that are harmful to humans. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Brightburn is doing things that are objectively evil. He doesn't just kill. Uh, he tortures. Mm -hmm. And he relishes in the pain of the things that he is torturing and killing. So I'm not saying that he is good, but if you could just strip it down to, is God treating me with favor or treating me with opposition? That That's what Brightburn is. He's a God who's visited planet Earth and is opposed to it. And it, it made me think of Brightburn as this dark expression of what it would be like to live only under God's judgment. Mm. That, you know, if you could take off that Brightburn was masochistic and it just turns out he's a superior being and his dad tried to shoot him in the head and you know he's got this teeming world of creatures that look like him but are infinitely beneath him and he just decides you know what you you're just not worth keeping around hmm. it it starts to sound like what we deserve you get what i'm saying yeah and so uh, again, there's every disconnect between what Brightburn is and what the Holy One of Israel is. Uh, so I'm not I'm not trying to draw this line too quickly. But in the same way that you're right, that like it's kind of God to limit what what the devil can do to humans. Brightburn also, after a few days chewing on it, made me think it's it's a pretty good gateway into how hopeless it would be in the to be a sinner in the face of a holy God and mm -hmm. to be experiencing their wrath. I mean, what can you do? Right. There's nowhere yeah. to hide. There, there's there's no strategy you're going to hit upon that's going to protect you. You're not going to be able to sneak a fastball past him and stab him in the back. Um, I, I guess it leaves me really thankful for grace. Mm -hmm. Particular grace, absolutely. Redeeming grace, 100%. But also common grace. Mm -hmm. Just that God isn't entertained by destroying people who deserve to be destroyed. Uh, as odd as it sounds, I came away from Brightburn being like, I'm really thankful God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. Mm -hmm. you, you think I'm off the deep end too far here to to make a likening between God's holy judgment and Brightburn? Is um, that I blasphemous? Think I don't think it's blasphemous. I mean, you, you're basically trying to remove the evil from, you know, it. Uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for. It's. I mean, it, can, it might be a little contrived um, from the, I mean, the author's perspective, right? But sure. But no, I mean... You're right. I mean, God's holy justice. I mean, just looking at Brightburn as this all-powerful, or at least a being that that can do supernatural things, and you're at His mercy. I mean, that's how that's how it will be, and that's how it is. We're yeah. just 
we're just fictitiously walking around like it's not that, like sure. we're not conscious of it. Like, like the, I guess it can make you think of uh, Edward's sinners in the hands of an angry God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, when he flies his mom up to the clouds, she mm-hmm. is the the sinner strung by gossamer thread over the gaping pit of hell, right? Yeah. I mean, it's very Edwardsian. Yeah. Mm. So either you see the devil, <laughs> which is appropriate, or you see uh, a reason to be thankful that God does not treat you as the lesser being who deserves to be destroyed, that you actually are. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's a positive note to end on or not, Jared, but I think that's the one we're going to end on, buddy. Yeah, I think so, man. You got anything else to add? I enjoyed the movie. Now, that may... The movie was unique. Yeah. Um, Yeah, They did what you wanted, right? Like... Yes. Or I say they did what they wanted. They told us a story of the horrifying idea of a god who... Or of a superhero who's a sociopath. Yeah. Yes, and it is a... uh, I mean, it was good to sit down and have to wrestle with. I mean, it makes you more thankful for Superman as well, like the the actual goodness of the characters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does make you thankful for them as well. But anyway, I enjoy. I still enjoyed the movie. It's not one I'm going to buy or anything, but but um, I hope they make a franchise about it. And honestly, dude, I would like to see the real Superman and this guy grown up uh, meet each other. Yeah. They've done some of this stuff in the comics. So there's a, there's an Elseworlds title called red sun where Superman grows up in Russia. Uh, There's another one where what happens to Bruce Wayne happens to him. Like he falls in Gotham and and Thomas and Martha adopt him rather than uh, them having, you know, Bruce by procreation and he watches his parents die. And so he, you know, he he comes to grow into this wrathful Avenger type character. Hmm. But there are dark versions of him. There's the Injustice Ultraman and whatnot. And sometimes he and the real Superman have to fight. Or, you know, there's the Injustice uh, video games that have become comic books, too, where, uh, you know, Superman turns evil. And what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Sony, I think, has a, has still a few rights left for some of the Marvel characters. But I would love for them to get uh, these characters who are clearly references to Superman, but that are held by different Publishers. So Alan Moore had a run with this character named Supreme, and he, you know, Supreme is a knockoff of Superman. Um, but he, Alan Moore, wrote him as this is what I would do with the Superman character mm-hmm. while he was uh, while he was, in, you know, writing for that company. I think it was Image Comics. Um, Liefeld, Rob Liefeld created Supreme. So he's he's more of an independent character. I'd love to see a pastiche for Superman mm-hmm. show up in Sony, like Sony to option images or whoever's got the rights and have a good Superman show up to fight Brightburn too. Yeah, it'll never be the DC version, but it would be sweet to see a version of that show up. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, you know, the movie hasn't made a ton of money. I think it's at like ten million right now, which means mm-hmm. it's made its budget back plus some. Mm-hmm. But they're clearly setting up a, a possible universe uh, for this one. And man, I'm I'm ready for it. If they want to make that, I'm going to show up and watch them. I'm like you. I enjoyed the movie, as weird as that is to say. It's legitimately scary, and I would I'd like to spend some more time being able to watch this universe without having to live in it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, even a Justice League fighting the bad Justice League would be pretty cool. For sure, for sure. So you hear that, Hollywood? Get on it. That's right. We're giving All those you... Hollywood execs that are listening to our show. That's right. We're giving you billion-dollar ideas here, guys. For free. For free. Because we're big-hearted. 
All right, my man. Well, we'll put a bow on Brightburn. Uh, this coming weekend, Rocketman comes out, which I don't think we're going to be able to review. Ma comes out, which there's some question about whether or not it has sexual nudity in it. Uh, but we've also got Godzilla King of the Monsters. So can I can I propose this to you? Mm-hmm. Let's plan on watching Godzilla King of the Monsters and reviewing it. Okay. But if Ma doesn't have anything uh, sexually explicit in it, we'll do a double feature. Sounds good, man. All right, buddy. That'll be our plan then. Uh, listener, we won't we won't be gone quite so long this time. And so check your check your podcast feed. We'll we'll be back to you next weekend, uh, rather next week, with some some stuff about these movies we've just mentioned. Until then, Jared, where can people find you outside the world of our podcast? You can find me on Twitter at Jared H. Moore. You can find me on Facebook at All's Truth is God's Truth. Got another podcast named All Truth is God's Truth. You can find Jeff and I on our Facebook group, Pop Culture Quorum Deo, Perpetual After Party. Come check us out. Hit us up. You can ask questions and interact, and we've got a good community there. Absolutely. So uh, we'd love to connect with you guys. We'd appreciate any reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening. Those things are helpful to us in knowing what you want from the show. And perhaps, although I guess I've seen that maybe this isn't strictly the case, might even help other people find their show who'd be interested in it. So if you got time and you're willing to do so, we'd appreciate you leaving us a review. Uh, guys, hit us up, PCCDPod on Twitter, Reddit, uh, in addition to those places Jared mentioned. We'd love to connect with you. And until then... This is Jeff Wright with Jared Moore, reminding you to live every moment as if you are before the face of God. As you are. Absolute. Talk to you next time. <laughs>